Welcome singer-songwriter Matt Jaffe and his band to the stage of the Phoenix Theater. Matt has played all over the country. He has opened for all sorts of notable people, and he has dedicated himself to, as he puts it, bringing guitar gospel back to the masses. Tonight, we'll get to know him and his band, and later they'll play a set of music. Please welcome to the program Matt Jaffe and his band. Welcome. Thank you. Are you ready to delve into your own soul for the benefit of the viewer? Absolutely. Matt Jaffe on stage. Your live performance roots started back in 2006 at Open Mics in Fairfax, California. Your first songs were Talking Heads covers. And then maybe not so coincidentally, you got to know Jerry Harrison of Talking Heads, who went on to produce your first album. This man lives in Fairfax. And so my first question for you is, did you purposefully do those Talking Heads songs with the intention of getting on that man's radar? Uh, well, no, not at all. I was a big Talking Heads fan since uh, fifth grade, which would have been more like, I don't know what year, but earlier. And, uh, and he, he actually lives in Mill Valley, which I just say because I'm from Mill Valley. And it is perfect coincidence that we're both from there. I had seen him a couple of times in town after I was already doing open mics, and uh, and uh, he saw me at an open mic, and I'd already interviewed him for something, which I'm not going to go into the whole story because we want to get to stuff that I haven't said before, but I'd stalked him to a hardware store, and he let me interview him. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't, do not cut out or downplay the stalking, because the stalking is a very important point. Because really well, I have questions, I have questions about this. So oh, you, you, tell me about this hardware store. Well, I was trying to do a, an interview with him for a project for fifth grade, and it was actually about Talking Heads. It was literally about the band Talking Heads. It, it was no less specific than that. And I sent him a letter, and I didn't hear back. So my dad picked me up from a piano lesson, and we were driving home. And we said, I, th- I think that's Jerry Harrison in the car next to us. And my dad, uh, he said, well, well, should we follow him? <laughs> and I, I was a little intrepid at first and a little less intrepid seconds later I said yeah we should follow him so we we followed him to a hardware store and we got out and said dude (laughs) you didn't respond to my letter you didn't you didn't say that did you well I told him about the letter and he you know recognition flashed across his face and and I went on to interview him now if I if I had done the follow to the hardware store which I absolutely would even at the ripe old age of 34 which I currently sit at I wouldn't have brought up the letter because I felt I would have felt like that was a little too uh, just a little too on the nose. I would have uh, I would have danced around it. You know, I would have like established, oh, what a wild coincidence! You're in the Talking Heads. I'm a music fan. We live in the same town. And then, like later, you, then you bring up the letter after you've established friendship independent of the letter. But we all have our different stalking techniques. <laughs> I've been really lucky. I've met a lot of. Uh, a lot of sort of heroes of mine who generally appeal to baby boomers. 
Yeah, the thing with uh, stalking and imposing yourself <laughs> on others is, um, you know, it, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. It's pretty hit um, or miss. The worst they can say is no. <laughs> That's a very good attitude, but sometimes we get nervous in life, you know? It's it's yeah. kind of this, you know, trying to, like, get on the radar of your idols is kind of the same as, like, wanting to ask someone on a date, you know? You, you fear rejection, so you don't do it. But you learn at a young age, just, you know, jump in, follow them. See them, follow them, accost them. The word here is stalk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, did you do anything else to stalk this man other than the uh, the hardware store? No, we sort of became acquaintances. Friends is a little cool. strong for that period, and he saw me at an open mic. But it was actually one in Mill Valley as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he saw me a couple of times, and we then we became friends and. He said, you should come do some demos. And uh, yeah, it goes from there. I was just hoping that there were some like tips that you'd gotten some, from mutual acquaintances. Like he comes and buys his steaks at this grocery store. He likes yeah. to get his coffee here. But On Tuesdays, he's out of the house. So you could just go, you know, explore. Well, <laughs> look, if there are some of those stories, we can turn the mics off and we can talk about it later on. So you describe meeting this man as a major inflection point in your life and, you know, by extension, your artistic career. Um, what would you say that you le- like learn working with him just about anything. Cause I mean, this was like an elevation for you. It was just sort of like learning how to write songs for other people. Like I, I think I still write for myself if, if I'm not enjoying it and it's not something I would want to hear. That's a, a big hurdle to get over. But, um, but realizing how to write something that could appeal and, and that's not like total pop revisionism. It's just kind of, trying to find a balance between my own sort of background and something that can speak to others. You told me that your early stuff was inspired more by novels and authors than personal experiences, which is not a surprise because you were 15, 16, 17 when you were writing stuff. Not exactly like an encyclopedia of experiences to draw from compared to like a Jerry Harrison, say. Sure. Um, Can you recall any of those novels or authors? Yeah, well, in high school, it was like, uh, I have a song that's exactly about Great Gatsby, one that's exactly about Crime and Punishment, one that's exactly about Watchmen. And uh, and I like those songs, but they, they don't speak as much to me now because they don't feel rooted in what I've been through. Um, unless you consider getting through Crime and Punishment to be <laughs> yeah. having to, you know, been through something. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I was so driven to write songs. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't go to parties. I didn't, I didn't try to go to parties. I didn't try to drink. I just wanted to write songs. And if I got my homework done, I could go to open mics. And there's nothing better in the world. There's still, still hardly anything better in the world. You describe meeting Jerry as a major inflection point. I already said that. But you also describe going to Yale as being another one of those. How so? Oh, well, it's just the other side of the coin you described. It was like plunged into a world of experience. Um, And uh, I think even just not having to drive anywhere allowed me to balance creativity with, uh, you know, new things. And How long did you stay there before no longer going there? uh, Three semesters. Three semesters. You know my least favorite thing that people do to you (laughs) when they write articles about you? Um, they use the phrase college dropout. Can't fucking stand that. Drop in the in, headlines. Baby, drop do, you know in. How, do you know how often they put those in the headlines? It's just, it's enough with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, but I think uh, they think it's like a good narrative. I think they think yeah. like, you know, like he was doing this. Now he's not doing this. Wow. What a, what a rebellious thing to do. And now he's playing music. Um, but I also think that it, it totally like misses the, the major point of like why you stopped going there, which was you had an opportunity. And what was that opportunity? Well, we got to go on tour with Blues Traveler and we didn't want to turn that down. John Popper and the boys. John Popper. And the boys. Uh, plus boys. <laughs> plus boys. <laughs> Don't forget the boys. John Popper, comma, boys. Um, so that happened. And uh, hard to, you know, uh, go to school while also missing it for two months. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you said is perfect. Uh, one of my best friends left uh, because she didn't want to be there anymore. And that's cool, too. But I left because I wanted to go do something else. I didn't really have a problem being there. Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, if the tour hadn't happened, do you think you would have stayed? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because some people's experience is like they go to a place like that, which you know took a lot of work to get into, and people would hear that and be like, wow, holy shit, I can't believe you accomplished getting there. And, um, you know, my assumption would have been that you got there and you were like, this doesn't feel right, this doesn't feel right, this doesn't feel right. But that wasn't your experience. No, I love the people there. I think they're great. I just uh, wanted to do whatever whatever would help me play music. You do have an album. It was the first album. It was called Blast Off. That was written around this period, correct? Uh, I think we'd recorded it before, actually. But, yeah, that's what we were mainly playing, I Depends think. Depends on your definition of around, you know. It's like it comes oh, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah. doesn't have to happen during, just a little bit before. No, we don't have a, a mobile record plant. Blast Off it was a relationships arc was a lot of the uh, the content on that. Probably a relationship you were in. Well, I had been in. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean they're all in. they're all break it. And this isn't meant I'm trying to be uh, persnickety about timing. It's just I think it is important that they're primarily written after. Well, absolutely. And in, in songwriting, uh, you know, jargon, whatever. I think after a relationship is quite different than during. Yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes we cut out uh, questions that we think that maybe the, the the content would be boring. It's like singing about a relationship is going well, kind of boring. Yeah, although in its own way, kind of interesting. One of my faves, John Doe, wrote a record that was supposed to all be happy love songs because angsty love songs is sort of like the default for songwriters everywhere. And there's a damn fine reason that it is, but try writing a happy love song that's compelling. That's pretty juicy. But I, I think it's like the happy love song where it's like you don't quite have the person yet, but you're probably going to get them. doesn't have to just be I'm content. It's like I want something. But it seems like it's going to have a happy ending. Yeah. Well, well, the, yeah. I mean, pure contentness is a, a snooze. But uh, and to that end, blast off. What's that? <laughs> blast off was not a snooze. Oh yeah, because you were not content. Yeah. I, I'm just saying there. John Doe has some songs that suggest sort of relationship contentness, but have this underlying sort of dread. And I love it. Isn't that life though? <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. It's like in life you're happy, and then the dread just always creeps back in. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, would you like to describe the chapter points of the relationship arc you describe in Blast Off? Well, it started with running down the stairs. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Well, tell us about these stairs. Is it actually a good story? Well, I, I, I was sort of, sort of hammered, and uh, and. You know, it, it just it just clicked with this girl, and uh, it, it wasn't the clicking wasn't uh, 
premeditated by the alcohol. It was just sort of uh, nudged, nudged, uh, nudged by it. Yeah, alcohol, a social lubricant. It's a, it's you know, a there was already some momentum, but yeah. you, then you drank, and, and then it started going faster. And the relationship was immediately terrible, but... I I thought it'd be uh but I'm so happy cuz I got so many songs that I like out of it. What would you say was terrible about it? We had nothing in common. Yeah. Tell us about how little you had in common. So much less yeah. than little. Um An we example. were we were driving up to to play a gig um in uh in Hanover, New Hampshire and she's fiddling with the knobs and she came to Imagine Dragons, and she was like, all right. Mm. Or, uh, this is actually a very interesting point. Finish telling that story. Or, yeah. No, that's because a like a moment like that, <laughs> a moment like that can be a moment of dread where you're like, oh, my God, I've learned so much about this person in this moment. I think it might be over. I'll tell you something. There was somebody who once expressed interest in me, and then I found out that they were a friends fan and not a Seinfeld fan and I oh, immediately oh. I went soft <laughs> <laughs> well I didn't I'm not saying that's what happened with me yeah. <laughs> I'm just you know we're just, individuals we're different that's fine yeah um yeah Seinfeld I mean is that even really a comparison come on thank you Matt that was the right answer <laughs> um, do you have any other examples of how little you had in common with this person Outside of not well, wanting to be she alone. She sang in an acapella group. Yeah, that's different. Uh, that's, it's wrong. Yeah. It's immoral. How so? Being, uh, well, I mean, the, the song choice is just abysmal and the performance is worse. Yeah, in acapella in general. Yeah. Boy, you are going to get canceled by the acapella yeah, people. Man. You're in real I trouble. I think that's exciting. Shots fired. Good for you. Good for you. You welcome the fired shots. <laughs> I do. I, yeah. I think... Uh, yeah. I think I'd love You'd love, love to, to go to war with the acapella community. <laughs> That's an easy fight. <laughs> oh, Can we please beef with the pentatonics? I mean, turn away, you know, turn away the neo-fascists. You yeah. know, those, those people don't need to be at your shows. That's true. We have to, sometimes we have to choose, and you have to be honest about how you feel. And in your opinion, acapella, not a real art form. Not even good. Well, I, you know, actually, I'm going to draw a line for myself there. Okay. Art form, I, I like the idea that art form can be anything. good, bad, and t- anything in between. Okay. Whether it's good or not, I'll side with you 100%. No, I'm not saying anything. I actually oh. like acapella. Oh, okay. You're alone on this Oh, oh that's, <laughs> yeah. that's okay. I yeah, don't yeah. mind that either. I, I'm just saying then that what you're saying, I, I want to uh, reform those words just a little, take them back to say that, I, I really would hate to, to say what is art or not, but what I think is good or bad, that's a different story. Yeah, I was using hyperbole uh, as the interviewer to try to get um, a response from you, and it worked. Um, so what would you say, I mean, uh, is bad about acapella? Well, this and feel free, anybody, to chime in. We've, yeah. we've hit a topic. I, loved, I looked, love to look at how people arrange things, so watching, watching harmonies be built in an acapella style kind of blow me away sometimes. But that is just me, and I spend my time, a lot of my time being George anyway, so it's <laughs> probably not acceptable at this time. But there's a lot of value look in acapella. At, look at, you've intimidated yeah. him. He's afraid yeah. to even talk about his what? love of acapella. Acapella. I, no, I, I didn't. I don't go to war. I'm just telling <laughs> yeah, yeah. you where I stand. Yeah. yeah and, and it is fine. an island. But it, it, it was yeah. certainly an island at Yale. That is. Oh, and, and you, you made your feelings yeah. known at Yale about how acapella is not good. No, I, I, 
well, maybe I did. I don't, I don't know. It's all, it's another life. It's, it's really, it feels like, another I gotta life. say when you do so many of these shows and we've done a lot of them over 150, when you have someone come on and say something entirely new, it's, it's, it's breathtaking. And to have somebody come on and say, acapella is bad. First time I've heard that, and I love it. So thank you. Really? Yeah, I've never heard of anybody that doesn't like acapella. <laughs> I think people like it. I think they like oh. the voices and the peace and the and the the angelic nature of it. And uh, not you, Matt. That's good. Yeah, not you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so good. Can I keep the acapella bit in the final episode? Sure. Good. Yeah. Unapologetic. Yeah. Hey, this is an interesting then a uh, uh, leapfrog then to another question. Not on the outline. What other things do you not like that everybody else likes? Um, that's the one. Peace on Earth, probably. Peace on Earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he likes. That. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. You're on the right Earth for that. Name one. some things that everybody else likes. I mean, I mean, I uh, puppies. <laughs> no, I, I like puppies. I don't love cats, but that comes from being <laughs> no, I, allergic. And most uh, absolutely, agree. yeah. I, I don't yeah. really love cats. That's fine. You don't yeah. have to love cats. Yeah, I mean, you, you know what? Maybe you don't even like cats. But do I like like them? <laughs> I think that one would say I don't love cats as sort of like a defensive thing. It's like it's not that I don't like them. It's just that I don't love them. But perhaps you also don't like them. It, I mean, it, they, it comes allergic. from allergies. It comes yeah. from and allergies. That, and so that to me is the asterisk, which makes it acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, so. you know, if anything else comes up that um, yeah, historically has been an unpopular opinion that you've had in terms of taste. I mean, I, I don't think, are we living in the golden age of TV? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> TV? I don't know. I, I, I haven't watched an episode of Game of Thrones or of Breaking Bad, so I don't really know. I, I can't say whether I like them or love them or not. I just I you're turned off by the whole thing. I'm of television. T- exactly. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. What do you think you don't like about television? I, I don't dislike television. I just don't like the ones that I know are going to take a lot of my time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. interesting. That, uh, that's so not like, even really to this point. Is well, I mean, maybe it is. Maybe you know everybody likes sitting down and watching television for hours and hours and hours. Oh no, you, I like that. I like that. Well, what's your opinion? <laughs> you just don't like. You don't like the possibility that these shows that everyone likes are I, good, I but you haven't watched them yourself. Exa- I think yeah. that Matthew McConaughey is better than Bradley Cooper. There, I said it. Okay. <laughs> these are, this is good. Just keep that sort of stuff coming throughout the episode. Um, we've never discussed Matthew McConaughey on this show, so again, it's, a shame. it's first. Probably Bradley Cooper. Either. Maybe the show would be better if we discussed Matthew McConaughey. Should more. we get them on? It's the, it's the McConaissance. Uh, <laughs> Now we're see now we're getting to your soul. <laughs> I've never seen an interview posted where you use that phrase before, but it feels like oh prime Matt Jaffe. <laughs> okay, so you had nothing in common with this young woman. How did that relationship end? Um, Explosively or Oh no. 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 I I don't think a relationship with that for me, uh, a relationship with that little actual emotional connection could end explosively. It it just um it just sort of ended, and we're still in some of the same run in some of the same circles. And uh, uh, to quote a, uh, a Seinfeld, it was the first perfectly, um, you know, mutually amicable breakup. Yeah, it's like when Jerry was dating Janine Garofalo. Exactly. They sat down at the table. They said, "I hate you." Exactly. <laughs> and thank you so much, and we'll see you later. Yeah. Well, I hope that she has a good life. Me too. Yeah. 
God bless her. <laughs> All right. So uh, <laughs> you went on tour and uh, back to the real episode now. Um, and <laughs> you went on tour and what a thing that was with John Popper and the boys. And uh, you were homesick. Am I correct when I say that you were homesick? What? <laughs> you were homesick when you were on that tour with John Popper and the boys. Homesick? Yeah, homesick. I believe, uh, well, I mean, I hate to quote you from the email, Matt Jaffe, but uh, this <laughs> coincided with a great deal of homesickness that drove me to write much of my second album. You continued. Oh. Infused, maybe this is a lie, just like written to uh, fill uh, articles about you, but you continue. Infused with both California dreaming and a newfound love for blues and cowpunk, it documents via a fantastical post-apocalyptic narrative, a departure because of a mythological inferno and a returning due to homesickness. I'm sorry. I kind of mixed up the, the layout of this email. It, it was really meant to be homesickness whilst in Connecticut. Mm, which is where Yale is. Yes. Yeah, not everybody knows that. I don't like saying I went to Yale. Well... Sorry. <laughs> it's out there. <laughs> it's out there now. More of a Harvard guy? or <laughs> No, he's embarrassed by the, uh, the Ivy I'm League more nature of, a, of it. I'm, I'm more of a Yale construction Yale. gear guy. Yeah, there's a level of pretentiousness that comes with going to one of those sort of universities, and you don't want to be associated with that. No, it, it just skews the narrative. As you, as you said yourself earlier, that I, I didn't drop out. I, I just had a new direction, and... In a casual conversation, it's tough to suggest that to people. Isn't that what's frustrating about press, though, about yourself? The narrative? There's Yale and there's Jerry Harrison. Yeah. And boy, have we zeroed in on <laughs> both of those of this so far. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I mean, it's tough, though, from like, you know, let me speak from the position of the enemy, the one, the one who writes these articles and conducts these interviews. It's like your position is I'm just a guy that wants to play some music. And also, you probably wouldn't say this, but I'd like to be famous and play to a lot of people. That would be kind of cool, too. I'd say that. Okay. Let's do it. Some people are afraid of saying that. They're like, no, I just want to do it for the art. But you strike me as somebody who would be just fine being famous. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I do do it for the art. I feel strongly that that's true. And I, you know, I, I tell people all the time that if I wasn't performing, I would still be writing songs. But if I wasn't writing songs, I probably wouldn't be performing. What would be like the nuanced uh, take on you that you would like to see come across that is greater than just like, I'm just a guy with a guitar playing music? Um, uh, the you nuanced used, take. Well, um, you know, you, like you, the reconnaissance, you know, that, that to me, that like sums a version of you up that I don't get from any other articles. I mean, obviously it's hard to be like, yeah, I'm a guy who does clever wordplay. And uh, I, I have a laid-back sense of humor. <laughs> but, but, so it's, it's a dumb question on one hand, but um, I do feel like every article I've read about you has missed the mark fundamentally. Do you feel yeah, that way? Yeah, I, I, think I'm, uh, I, just, I, I think I'm more into movies than people ever write about. Like, I, I, I want my songs to just be about movies all the time be about movies or to like be like little three minute movies or five minute movies just about them i can't yeah. write movies i'll just <laughs> say what uh they're about and then people say oh that's uh that's magnolia oh that's phantom thread then i'll say all right is that something that actually happened or are you just doing a bit uh no it's it's uh those are in progress yeah 
Yeah. Do you like John Bryan's music? John Bryan. I don't know John oh, Bryan. Oh, come on, man. He did the music for Magnolia. Come on, man. Oh, no. Amy Mann did the music for Magnolia. She did some songs for Magnolia, but so did John Bryan. Well, when you buy the record on iTunes, <laughs> I download Amy it Mann. For free. Amy so Mann is the album artist. As anyone who is let's, totally let's, anal let's, about their <laughs> iTunes library knows, there is a field that is album artists. Why don't we put a pin in that, and uh, we come back to it after we do some research. <laughs> do you uh, curate your iTunes library with some degree of uh, With an iron fist and a velvet glove. Is that so? Yes. How many songs you got? I have no idea. How many days you got? Oh, it's got to be like, uh, like 16 or something. All right, stop. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Tom Gaffey, that's easy. How it, many days you got? Yeah, it means that if you were to push play from the first song, how many days worth of music do you have until it gets 16? to the last song? 16 days. Do the math, my friend. What is that? Seems a little weak. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but damn, I always thought, you know, in the apocalyptic dream, you'd want to have at least a, a year's worth of material. So that you could live 10 years of that. Well, no, I consider myself weak. I've sacrificed strength for songwriting too. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. That's that's spectacular. I, <laughs> are you are you uh, thankful that you were born during this era where a weak man can survive as opposed to be I killed? am. Yeah. I'm I really am. Yeah. I you know, I'm not trying to sound comical saying this because I really am. I I don't think the life I'm living would be at all possible like 80 years ago. 16 days is actually quite good, Tom Gaffey. I'm going to stand I, up for my is, new friend, I Matt Jaffe, here. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Five minutes of Hey, song? come what? on, man. Okay. If you're going to issue a... Songs if you're, an hour. If you're going Time's to attack a man's iTunes library, <laughs> you have to at least allow a rebuttal. And I am going to rebut on behalf of my friend, Matt Jaffe. And the rebuttal is as follows. You put that calculator away. I'm going to get... Here's the rebuttal. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this man doesn't just put anything in his iTunes library. Okay. Am I correct when I say that? You, that is very correct. This is heavily curated, yeah. and what Matt Jaffe would like to do is be able to push random all songs in this playlist, push random, and not have to skip a single song, and that is how curated it is. Uh, and when you think about 16 days of curated material... Of non-skipping? That's fucking insanity. Yeah. Back to the second album. Are you feeling content on the I'm iTunes thing? I'm absolutely happy with 16 days. It's very good, yeah, it's, curated it's material. Good. Can I? I I'll, no, go you, ahead, please. No, no I was just going to say that as soon as I'm done, I'm going to get the calculator out and figure out how many songs is that exactly. So what are we are, Just before we move on, <laughs> is that an average of six minutes a tune? Oh, I think it's way less. Way I like less. I like songs that are like three minutes. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, I think Bravo, it's way less. that's very sixties of you. He likes good. well. Yeah. I mean, this is a very sixties man. I agree. Yeah, good. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that second album, as we veer wildly from focused to not? Well, it was a a shit storm. I yeah. mean, kinda I decided like, to kind of like the last ten minutes of this interview. <laughs> 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 I decided to produce it myself and. Uh, and that wasn't terrible, but I did everything way too fast. I was frenetic and frenzied and fried. Well, and sure, production-wise, yes, all that stuff. But let's talk about the, uh, the, the, the fantastical post-apocalyptic narrative. Well, it's a terrible idea to sort of uh, to take advantage or try to capitalize on natural disaster or disaster of any kind. 
Um, so this came before the actual destruction by wildfire of Sonoma and Napa. I just thought this was great images, hellhounds of Alcatraz, fire on the freeway. Um, there, there are a few others, but those two suggest it by title the best. Was this like you transferring like stuff you were feeling on the inside to the uh, environment via songwriting? Uh, I, I Did you want to see the world burn? Were you feeling a lot of uh, angstiness? No, I just think it's the, well, angstiness, that's another question, but I just think it's Im- imagery that spoke to me and it, it finagled its way into many of the tunes. Do you feel like if you were in like a movie, because you like these songs to be considered movies or you'd like to be asked about that. Do you like if you, Matt Jaffe, were in a movie, you'd be a hero or a villain? Well, have you guys seen uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid? Uh, this is this is actually just what came to mind first. It has nothing to do with wanting to be Dylan. I, I love Dylan, but don't. I try to be my own dude. Uh, but Dylan in that movie, it's perfect. Like he's he's there. He impacts the narrative, but he's not really a main character. And he wrote the soundtrack. And uh, and I know that is is not within the diegesis Dylan of the was film, but it's Alias important. is his name. Greek, a- Alias. He was playing kind of the Greek chorus of it. As a matter of fact, he sure, was the one that yeah. observed the entire. Yeah, correct. Um, I guess three strangers are looking to kill a man. All three are killed in the subsequent shootout, helped by another stranger called Alias, Bob Dylan, who kills one of them with a knife through the neck. Um, Does this resonate at all? I don't want to do that last bit. (laughs) You like being on the sidelines. Do you think the fact that it was Bob Dylan is what uh, attracts you to this character? Sure, yeah, but... Yeah... But uh, that's that's honestly not why I'm bringing this up. I, I'm not that outgoing, and I'm not that. Uh, I I try to take in. I, I wish I was less talkative. No, it makes perfect sense actually. Uh, as I think back on this, you are you would rather play almost the the chorus. Uh, you'd rather be the observer watching and writing and, and putting it back out. This is how I see it. I don't love the word sidelines. That yeah. suggests that you wouldn't be the good Samaritan and that you'd. But but I guess uh, based on that uh, summary that that Alias does actually intervene, and I like that idea of sort of uh, you know the Star Trek Prime Directive that you're sort of out there and you're exploring and, and that's great, but you don't really intervene unless you need to. And I mean I think maybe maybe some overlap I have with you is I think that there's like um, something really cool in life about like getting to observe the whole scene but not necessarily be in the scene so that you can have like a full appreciation for it. So what I mean is like conflict between people, really fascinating to watch that really fascinating to be on the periphery of that, um, but not be involved. You know what I mean? So you can, you're kind of not good, not bad. You're kind of in God mode and that's really what you want. <laughs> you, you would like to just kind of be sailing over, you know, flying over the scene, looking at the whole thing. I don't know if that's what I'd want, but I I think it's what I get. Yeah. God mode. Beast mode. (laughs) Sicko mode. (laughs) Airplane mode. (laughs) (laughs) We'll end end on that. (laughs) Maybe maybe more like Jason Robards. (laughs) So Jason Robards plays a part in how the West... No, um, Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, 
and and he's got the part that you want to be in. He's watching the whole thing. He knows what's going down. He's watching every move, and he knows it's all what's going to come about and how it's going to go. And in the end, in the end, he kind of he just kind of skates on the whole situation, and it's a great way to do it. I I don't remember which character he is, but that that movie haunts me. Yeah, yeah, far out. Good yeah, film. Really I don't know because here's the thing: like in life, like I've definitely been the bad guy, and I've felt like I've been the good guy. I just really like being a non-entity. I like just kind of like watching and, ex- and, and not even intervening, just like getting to be in the room, but not being on either side of it. So the finale of Seinfeld. Yeah, well, I, I, hey, look, I identified with those people in that, in that show, too, absolutely. But yeah, um, you know, you're a, you want to float over. Uh, again, what I, not necessarily what I want, but sure. I'm trying to put a button on what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know if you can do this for me. I feel like we haven't fully explained what the alias character played by Bob Dylan does and why that appeals to you. And we can move on. I thought he was a worm. <laughs> you thought he was a Wow, yeah, that's I fighting words. Was, oh, know, he might be a worm. Yeah. I, I don't know. Is that okay for him, Tom Gaffey, to call you a worm? No, no, sure. not Matt. Well, sure, but not, Matt is that character in no, real life. I, well. Uh, yeah, I would disagree there, I think. Well, that's what Matt said. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal. Uh, I don't see you getting... <laughs> I don't see you living a dusty life like that. I, I don't uh, I don't think you'd be comfortable uh, hiding in those dusty corners and that darkness, and I don't think you'd be slipping the knife as quickly as, as uh, he could in the end. I mean, maybe you can. I don't know. You just said that you, you're saying that you're giving, you've given your uh, physical strength over to writing music. So as an observer, far out, that's the way to go. Uh, I got another one. Uh, Have you guys seen Magnolia? I haven't seen Magnolia. Uh, I have. Do you know the Philip Seymour Hoffman character? Uh, Describe it for the people who haven't. He he plays a a hospice nurse who's taking care of this kind of, a guy who's about to die from cancer, like just really on his deathbed. And he's he's trying to be professional and like he's kind of just trying to do his job. And uh, he's sort of trying to not get invested, but but then like this guy is so like he, he's so desperate and so desperate for final wishes of reconciliation with certain family members who who Philip Seymour Hoffman knows to be really terrible people, uh, but he he sort of gives in to the the vulnerability of the man he's taken care of and. Uh, sort of intervenes anyway. And and that's sort of different than Good Samaritan to me. I That's who I want to be. Hmm. I, I think we're on the cusp of something very interesting here. Was, I, I don't know. I, I, I've dozens of tangents like this. So well, <laughs> I, I, think, I think it kind of illuminates. Well, I mean, if, feel free if you have another one you want to share, popular culture um, that, uh, that can inform us about you. But... Um, I don't know. You, you. I mean, that's something right there. If you want something about me, is that I see myself through the lens of other pop culture that I consume, and I find it very challenging to really be emotional from person to person. And that often it takes the filter of a song or a flick or a poem to like get me to emote. So there was a Stephen King story that uh, ah, we were on the road. <laughs> we were we were on the road moving. Uh, uh, these people were, were running from the FBI, and a friend of mine and I were driving their household goods to Missouri, where they were hiding. And uh, she was reading to me as we were driving, and she read this Stephen King story. I love how it just like 
nonchalantly you started that story but please continue. well all right so she writes uh, this the the crux of the story is that the, there is this this lady who's in a theater group she falls in love with everybody falls in love with this one guy who's a leading man but none of them can figure this guy out they all go out with him and there's nothing to him except for this one lady who realizes oh i get it so every time she goes out with him she writes a part for him and he does the part for her and and uh, she he becomes who that uh, he becomes the character that is that part of literature, and uh, he becomes the story himself, and uh, they finally are able to make their relationship blossom. So he is a, a vessel waiting to be the story. And I find there's a little bit of a connection here. You're, you're you're like this open vessel, and you're living through your cultural experiences. And from there, you're actually able to put it back out. You're writing songs from that and, and uh, being, uh, uh, then becoming the creator himself. Uh, this man became the part. God you are becoming the writer. You're actually <laughs> becoming the author. I think that's a really brilliant point. Well, I think it's semi-close. I wonder if it plays into something you said to me earlier, which is uh, I said, you know, sit down, relax. And you were like, ah, can't do that. I don't like to relax. You think that there is some overlap here? Yeah, absolutely. I think I am fearful of missing things. And uh, I, I guess even like the, the kid in Almost Famous is like someone who would probably be the sort of best example of this. Let's say somebody hasn't seen the film. Well, he, he's just a kid who is a sort of gets a job writing for Rolling Stone and goes on tour with a band and does have his own personal attachments and connections, but he's like sort of supposed to be neutral in writing this article and putting it back out. Uh, that's not what I do specifically, and meek as I am, I think he's meeker. Uh, but uh, yeah, the idea that you're kind of there to to be... Yeah, a vessel is a beautiful word for it. Um, I, I love that, yeah. I don't know. I mean, in, in terms of, like, occupational analogy, I think that's a strong one. In terms of, like, disposition, there are others that I find stronger, I would say. What's the strongest? Uh, Rorschach. How so? Uh, well. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think... Um, I think you have an idea. I mean, I think I get a lot from Seinfeld. Like, I get a lot from them. I, I wouldn't want to admit it. I, like, frankly, I think wanting to take in stuff and, like, constantly sort of trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle in my head, like, makes me a little bit icier than I'd want to be if I was somebody else. How do you think you would do then with, like, six months of isolation with no pop culture input? Um, what do I have with me? A guitar, a notepad, a pen. What are the meals like? Uh, suffi <laughs> sufficient, not luxurious. What? Vegetarian option. <laughs> Whatever your needs are dietarily, we will satisfy those. Uh, I mean, there's so many more questions, but I actually Ask think, me them. Like, do I get to be, do I get to see friends? No, absolutely not. Desert Island, like solitary confinement style. Um, room. You're you're comfortable. You're comfortable. There are others. You're not allowed to talk to them because that would in 
in, in a roundabout way, culture gotten from them would seep into you. The idea Can here. Can we just talk about the weather? Uh, the weather is neutral. Okay. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's fine. There is some, no. I mean, with these people, can I just have? You know, I don't know. I'm trying trees. to see what happens here in my social experiment, where you, who, who just described yourself as somebody who is like heavily influenced by pop culture, and you and you really frame things. It seems through your experiences with it. I'm just curious, like what happens when we just like turn that off? What happens to Matt Jaffe? You know. I mean, I think I would find juice. You do. I really do. I mean, inside it's like, yourself, it, it's tough. Yeah, I do. I think I have a lot of stuff stored away, and I actually think that there's a a tipping point where there's diminishing returns from how much you consume, and that having to dig would be its own incredible battle. Uh, it's tough to say six months, although whether it's three or six, the first thing yeah, that came yeah, up, yeah, you totally. know, we can negotiate that. Yeah, no, we can do sixteen days. Uh, that's too <laughs> short. Do you ever do the uh, like the water pods isolation tanks? You know, where no, that's like great though. Yeah. Well, you could start there yeah. if you want. Um, you know, I, this is guitar, an offer we can follow. We can, no, 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 that. Um, here's, here's something we can follow up on this later, but if you want, um, I, I'll pay for your first water pod and we can just see what happens. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's like a glimpse, you know, I, right. I don't know. I feel like there's something to be said about Matt Jaffe, just like totally in isolation. What happens to him at that point? You're talking the, about the, the world. sensory deprivation? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh. People pay to have that experience, yeah. and I'm going to pay for him to have the, that experience. The world would be a better place. You know? yeah. Oh, no, just for an hour. <laughs> Not forever. Just for an hour. Or that hour. <laughs> yeah. We'll put a pin in it. We'll come back to it. <laughs> Do you see a therapist? No, I don't. Yeah, well, this is a good substitute for that. (laughs) You may have to after. I I think it'd be a great idea. I think it's way overstigmatized. Absolutely. I think I should should. too, but I don't. Yeah, no. You just keep busy from morning until bed, right? I do, yeah. Yeah, I really really do, and I I think music is my therapy. Like, that sounds corny as hell, but it's true. It makes me feel at peace. It really does, yeah. Would you say the Disaster album is a hopeful album? I've only been hopeful lately. I want songs about hope. Uh, Alejandro Escovedo changed me about this. His songs are hopeful and they're beautiful, and I want to be that. I, 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 like I, I, I cut my teeth on so much early Elvis Costello, which is all pins and needles and, and uh, perhaps borderline misogyny and, and just a lot of angst. And I, I don't want. I, I never wanted the borderline misogyny, uh, but the angst is. Like, again, sort of, I was saying, like, that the unhappy relationship is such a default thing. And we don't need to get back into the whole, you know, what makes a good song, because it's it, all kinds of things. But uh, I'm really feeling a lot of hope in music right now. And uh, despair, like, doesn't have as much home with me anymore. So you didn't feel great for a while, right? Well, this gets into a whole sort of thing that's in that email. But it's funny that you should mention that. I don't know if the you final want... inflection. <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should mention that, Matt, um, because uh, the final inflection point <laughs> in your life, <laughs> we are on the same team, the final inflection point in your life thus far that you shared happened very recently. And there's like a dramatic climax to this that is, uh, well, it involves a destroyed guitar because I feel yeah. like uh, for all the bullshitting we're doing tonight and we're doing quite a bit of it, uh, and I do think it's illuminating like who you are as a person, but um, I feel like this experience is like a, a really like defining one. Yeah, well, I, I kind of call going to college and this is like I would never be the same before and after those two things. Uh, so 
You you really want like a whole rundown? I want the most detailed rundown. Because to me, honestly, just between us, this this is like the worst thing. But we're sharing our true selves here tonight. When I saw this in the email, I was like, oh, okay, this will be a good episode. I'll say I'd like to exploit this. You you said some people don't want to <laughs> even want to admit that they'd want to be famous. I'll admit I would exploit this to be famous. Yeah. I'm proud of what I do. I'd like it to be better known. And you know what? This is great because you tur- turned a negative, uh, perhaps you're near death, into a positive. I, I'm going to try to get to it. It's, it's sort of bullet points. Uh, I left school um, and I was on... We had a show at the Sweetwater right before, and then I jammed over to the East Coast, and uh, and I, I went on tour with a guy, uh, a solo tour. In two weeks, we went from Brooklyn to Chicago uh, to D.C., back up to New York City. And on this tour, he picked up some kind of flu virus, uh, flu-ish virus, I should say. Um, and sorry, then. That me play blows are <laughs> coming back to haunt me uh, yeah, <laughs> at the worst time. That, that or this is just a really emotional story for you. It is, yeah. but again, emotion through you know pop culture. So this this won't get me as teary eyed as it deserves to. Uh, but it's important to experience emotion, but not enough to where it's like unbecoming. It's a free brand tip for you, Matt. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> See, I, I don't know. Uh, all right. Let's come back to Mo- that. Moving forward. <laughs> right. um, yeah, so anyway, we picked up. He got it first. We're in, uh, we're in Westchester, Pennsylvania. We, I, he couldn't even perform that show because he was so sick. I drove him back to his apartment in Jersey City. I slept in this terrible, chilly March uh, like apartment with the window open and like these two guys doing hookah next to me for like till like 4 a.m. and I got the virus so I was going to see uh, my girlfriend in New Haven and I felt terrible during the last show in Montclair, New Jersey. I just felt terrible. I was shuddering. I had like all these layers on me and I got up there on the train and I felt nauseous. Um, I hadn't seen her in like couple of months so I was really sad that I felt so bad but I just felt terrible nauseous dizzy I was pretty sure I was gonna throw up uh, so anyway uh, I get there I say okay I'll just sleep this off it'll be cool wake up the next morning still feel this way go to the bathroom to get a drink of water um, and uh, perhaps should I need to spew uh, in the parlance of Wayne's world and, uh, which I did not, but I did pass out presumably from this fluish virus, uh, symptoms related to it. And, uh, I hit my head on the, uh, the floor and like most bathrooms, it was not a shag rug. It was tile. Uh, so not a great way to go. Um, so anyway, I, I like woke up disoriented, like, five minutes later or something. She said it was about that time. And I'd like crawl back into the, the dorm room on my hands and knees. And, uh, and like, I'm, I'm totally not lucid. So she calls, uh, nine one one. They come to get me. She lives in the top floor of this, like really, you know, windy and like labyrinthine old Gothic building, probably, probably like fifth floor. Um, so anyway, they come and get me and they put me in one of those chairs that secures your neck, right? 
and we're going to go down the elevator and the elevator breaks. This doesn't, this doesn't even really matter in the story, but it's just like one of those, like, like it's the hero's journey. Every step matters. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is certainly, if we're talking about the Odysseus sort of like downward arc of the, you know, him lying on whatever the hell godforsaken island that is, like at the lowest of lows. This is certainly not it. This is just the beginning of my fall from, if not grace, something like it. Um, and anyway, so they get stuck. They get me to the ER. Pretty much fine. Ask me questions. I'm still pretty loopy. Uh, I complain about chest pain. No, there's no reason I should have chest pain. But I do tell them about this two-week trip, which involves a lot of driving from New York to Chicago and back. Uh, so they say, oh, well, um, they even had, I mean, this was like a, a moment out of a movie that I was in one of those little like ER sort of like closeted in or, uh, you know, just curtained in like little areas. And they bring like six uh, medical graduate students like in, you know, and they're here's another Seinfeld episode, you know, where Kramer's doing the gonorrhea thing. Uh, you know, what's I, he doing for the audience members who haven't seen it? Well, Kramer with the, you know, on the recommendation of his friend, Mickey is, you know, acting out various diseases and he, he gets gone. Well, I, I, I think Mickey gets gonorrhea and he steals that, uh, that disease from him. So they're, they're doing an acting thing where they're like trying to like act in front of people and like, you know, it's like, here are my symptoms. And then like the doctors are supposed to diagnose them. So, uh, anyway, to your point, uh, anyway, to my point, they say, well, complaining about chest pain, um, was sitting in a car for a long time, probably blood clot started in the leg, got up to the lungs, pulmonary embolism, which I, I don't mean to disparage the the knowledge of anybody listening or present, but I had no idea what that was. So pulmonary embolism, just a blood clot in your lung. Um, so anyway, I had hit my head, but they didn't take that into account in this diagnosis. So they started giving me an anticoagulant, which again is an blood thinner that's another thing i didn't know till after when it became part of my lifelong fun job uh uh and one with a super long half-life so anyway these two things together hitting my head coupled with the misdiagnosis led to a cerebral hemorrhage bleeding on the brain um anyway not good you don't want that leads to permanent brain damage. Uh, and uh, so anyway. That, so that's like uh, the inciting incident right there, right? I mean, yeah. so now now this has happened. Like the bomb has been basically well, set. It's more complicated still, though. Okay. They don't diagnose this. this I'm, I'm like keeled over for a couple days on end in unbearable head pain. You know, I, I don't mean to sound melodramatic about this, but it is unbearable pain. You were bleeding on the brain. Yeah. I was, well, I, I was think bleeding. that you can be excused for any hyperbole. I, I, I like being stoic, Jim. Yeah, I like no, being stoic. Hey, you're preaching to the choir. Uh, but uh, my sister was there, and my my sister had come down from Boston, and uh, my girlfriend was there, and they, you know, they, they're like, well, this seems pretty bad, but it's a hospital, whatever. Um, and that's your first mistake. So my mom, who who's in, uh, who was in the Bay Area, that's where we're from. Uh, she, after a couple of days of me being in the hospital, she decides to fly out. You know, her one of her two kids is at in the hospital, and 
it's sort of unclear what's going on. That's what you do, I guess, if you can. And uh, she gets out there and she sees that I'm in this unbearable pain. She knows that I'm stoic and feels that her assessment of my uh, of my situation is more clear-eyed than that of the the staff. You know, at this point, I'm not in the ER. I'm just I'm in an outpatient ward. And anyway, so the, this, this is really the amazing thing, is that she went to college with a guy who worked at that hospital. I, I forget if he's exactly a, a, a senior MD or a, an administrator or what, but he, knowing her, demands that they give me an MRI immediately, uh, which at his demand they do, discover their mistake, and uh, perform a, an emergency craniotomy, which uh, is basically just cutting out a chunk of your skull about, the, well, depends, but for me it was about this big, popping that out. Uh, to the audio listener, that's how big? Uh, latka Four sized. inches by four inches? Sure, yeah. yeah. And uh, they drain your blood, and then they actually thought they might have to, have to, put a helmet on me for like a year because the brain might not reduce swelling. Lucky for me, it did. Pop my skull back in. Uh, there are a few titanium clamps that are permanently in my head. And they sewed me back up with, uh, for, about, for about a week or something. It was actually staples, which are like the more intense version of stitches. Like they're literally staples holding your skin together. And it, it's a scar, scar that runs from about here all the way down to here, and you can probably still see oh, yeah. it because my hair is pretty short right now. How do you How scar. do you feel about that scar? I think it's badass, man. <laughs> okay, on. good. Well, then uh, I'm glad that you feel that way because in the performance, you, one can see it. Can't yeah. see it now because you have the headphones on. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm. I like uh, like getting my hair cut, and I I think it's cool. I, my my barber actually, uh, who I should give a shout out to, he's a great guy, Craig. Um, he uh, he actually does a little extra like shaving around the scar it, it would be uh i suppose nude even even without that but he shaves it a little extra to exacerbate the image well, that's some real behind the curtain stuff right there i'm here to get real thank you <laughs> um does he do that um at your instruction no, he was the first one to do it. Do you say to him, I really want people to see this? No, he suggested it. He, he is much more stylish than I. And uh, it took me a while to go in there because once you've had staples all over your head, you don't exactly want to be near other sharp objects voluntarily. So my hair was pretty long and I was like, well, you know, could you be careful? Uh, and and a, a couple cuts later, uh, he's like, well, you know, have this scar it's it's gonna be there let's let's dress it up let's have some fun with it he said basically yeah um you described this just a minute ago as like a now a lifelong thing yes so that's like the first chapter they perform this craniotomy fair recovery time before i was even half normal again they you know going through the operation they weren't sure if i was going to wake up myself you know what year was this this was 2015 okay um and you know uh the the tricky part about it was the blood thinner because they uh, the longer that you wait to perform the operation the more danger or the more chance that you have irreparable you know irrevocable brain damage but 
the less time you wait, the more dangerous it is because the less the anticoagulant has diffused or worn off, I should say. Um, so anyway, I woke up. I'm pretty normal still, I think, or normal for who I was. Um, yeah, you don't feel like you changed too much? I, yeah, I don't feel like I do. I mean, physiologically, there are some things. I feel mostly like myself, but this relates to what's coming next. Once you've had these, I mean, truly traumatic brain events, it's hard to know what your normal is. It really is. There's no perfectly scientific way of doing it. I mean, Alex knew me before and after. My parents certainly did. Uh, other friends, but uh, I don't know. How, how do you gauge it? How do you... There's no control group, per se. A anyway, so to go off what you said, um, uh, I recovered. I was doing well. We went on the Blues Traveler tour during the next six months or so. Uh, and then about a year later, during the Warriors-Oklahoma City Thunder Western Conference Finals seven-game match that led to the Warriors getting to the finals and Draymond's suspension and the Cavs winning in seven, which of course led to Kevin Durant coming here and forming this sick mode dynasty. Um, sicko mode. Sicko all yeah. mode. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I, I don't know that one. I know the Michael Moore movie, Sicko, but. Uh, oh, Sicko Mode. This is a very popular song. Oh, it is. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. It's got an NBA player in it or something. The video or the song? I don't know. Uh, Sicko uh, Mode by Travis Scott. Okay. Yeah. I don't know any songs, but, uh, sorry. but anyway. Sorry. During this, the Warriors were down three to one. I had a seizure. Uh, I, I was going upstairs to get, get a pair of socks, and boom. Uh, and anyway, uh, you know, I've, I've scarring on my brain that's similar to that, dare I say, latka-sized uh, piece of my brain that was impacted by this. And uh, you, like, I mean, uh, a seizure is just a bunch of ele electrical stuff going on, and when you got a big patch of scar, it sure doesn't help. So I had one, I'd, I've been on medications, I've had a couple others. Uh, it's, a, it's a bummer, man, <laughs> it really is. I, I, I feel like such a lucky person. I grew up on the, you know, in the foothills of Mount Tam and got to mountain bike and, and meet Jerry Harrison and play guitar. So I, I, I'm a really lucky guy, but this is a bummer. And, uh, and most recently I had a, a seizure in the middle of a gig and and for those unfamiliar, you're, you tense up and all your muddy, muscles just clench. And my, my thigh and calf muscles just launched me across this room. And this guitar that I've written many songs on, performed countless hours with, it got wedged between me and a table. And quite a few repair guys have called it unfixable. And, and that's too bad, you know. So you were performing in front of a crowd? It, it was like a bar, so not a not a super public way of, ha well, <laughs> it's a very public thing when that happens in a, any kind of public place, but I'd rather have that happen than like our gig at Slim's last year. But you were okay. Yeah. Your guitar was I, not okay. No, not okay. Yeah. And that was a month and a half ago. That About last a month season. and a half. Yeah. And uh, I should be able to drive again on my birthday. It happened on January 20th and my birthday is April 20th and they they give you sort of a three-month probation. Okay, cool 
Yeah. So this heavily influenced the new album. Yeah, I mean, it it's just uh it's meant to be more introspective and 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 measured and I I don't know, like I I think this whole experience gives me a friend of mine who who has had a couple bouts of cancer and and she's she's about my age. Well, yeah, she's my age, you know. Weren't born at the same second, but we're talking around time. Yeah, you know? no, I mean, generally it's acceptable <laughs> if you were born yeah. within a year of each other yeah. um, and there's overlapping time period, yeah. you can say that you're the same age. <laughs> did you know that LeBron James and Steph Curry were born in the same hospital? <laughs> I did not, but sounds like you know that. Uh, and now, so many now, others do. Are, are they the same age? <laughs> no. Uh, but, um, yeah, she's had a couple bouts with cancer, and we've talked how, like, you want to have this thing where it's like, all right, now I'm Zen. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some people have that. I'm not Zen. I am not Zen. I, I think it's endowed me with like a little bit of extra hope that I've like, I may have gotten through the worst thing in my life. I don't know. I, I don't know. I hope so. It's, it's awfully, it seems awfully uh, sort of like jinxing yourself to say such yeah. a thing, but I, I may have gotten through the worst thing in my life. And I think that gives me some empowerment uh, and some like uh, some sort of devil may care in like approaching what I want to do or per, excuse me pursuing what I want to do. Um, and I, I think it gives me sort of self confidence in not being the loudest band at the gig. Yeah, because the sound of this album changed in addition to the, uh, well, the, like the content, you know, you look at your first album, it's all other people's stories yeah. and this new album, what's this new album called? It's called the spirit catches you spirit catch. And this is already out this album. It is. It came out in November. Yeah. And so, you know, would you say this is your third full length? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what a jump in 10 years ish of being a musician first first album was pretty much all everybody else's stories and this album is a lot more your own story yeah yeah i think so I, i'm just i, I love I, I really love where it got I, i'm so happy with the songs and the guy who produced it his name is his name is james depredo his name's is james uh, and uh <laughs> and he he did such a good job and, and that's not really what we're talking about we're not really talking about the production except God, the, Matt, i'm so thankful that you're here <laughs> so many people don't get that yeah except that and this is something i did write in the email trying to be cognizant of what we're really trying to get at just that the like texture does allow that voice to get through like like the the production of the prior two records like i would how could I sing some of those songs? Like there's a purely acoustic song on there and one called rumors of your ghost that like, like they make me feel the way I, that I feel when I think about this stuff. And this is on the new album. Yeah. Do you feel like you came close to death? I don't feel that way. I, I was totally out of it. I I've been alive the whole time. My, everybody around me thinks that though. Cause three songs reference death in the title. Huh. <laughs> on this I mean, album <laughs> one of them is what you just mentioned rumors of your ghost uh, and then dancing with death and then raise the dead yeah well yeah i, I mean that's not a gotcha question i'm just curious like yeah how, how do those songs deal with well death? It, it's funny what you say feel yeah like like i from a more intellectual place feel that i 
or, or like understand where I was that my future was uncertain. I, like if, if my mom hadn't happened to have gone to school with this guy and hadn't happened to flown across country early enough, I would be dead. I mean, those are, that's like an amazing coincidence. Um, that's mom. Yeah, it is. I mean, she's a hero. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't mean just for me. She's a great person, but this was great for me. <laughs> this one happened to work out pretty well for <laughs> so you. This, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but this, this one is pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty, done a lot of great good. things, but uh, also you're still alive. It's not bad. Uh, you know, she, she, she gave me life and then she, uh, she sustained you know, it. There's a, yeah. an insurance policy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I understand that. I, I, I understand that, but in, the word I actually I keep leaning towards, but don't want to say is feel, because I didn't feel it. I I was clutching my head in pain, like you know ah, and then the next thing I know, I'm like staying at someone's house in New Haven, like with a, a something wrapped around my head to keep like my head from falling apart, <laughs> like literally, you know, and and I I'm, I'm like it's almost Easter, like. I'm eating a lot of candy this year. I, the, those, you know, those Reese's eggs are pretty cool, man. Uh, and, and I, so I don't know. I, I, I feel haunted by it, but I, I don't think I felt that, that, uh, that immediate, you know, the gravity of it. I didn't feel that. My, my mom and my sister and my dad and my girlfriend, they felt it. They're, they were traumatized in a very immediate way by it. And they were there. There's some. I wasn't there. <laughs> no, I wasn't. You were kind of like we discussed in God mode. You know, <laughs> no, you were. I, I actually think there's there's some overlap here between the earlier conversation and that is that um, they felt the emotion and you watched them feel the emotion and then that made you sort of be like, oh fuck, like yeah, I guess I guess I did come yeah. close to death. But my parents don't like to talk about it. I mean, if we really want to tie everything together. My dad doesn't even like that I get this haircut because he sees the scar. I swear to God, he de- like that's the reason he doesn't want me to get such a close haircut. Yeah, like it, it's it, it's such an acute thing for them. For me, it's more like an aura. Yeah, it's like you were the ghost, or you were like watching yourself in that hospital bed, and you weren't actually having to be a, a participant. You were sort of like, yeah, I mean, he's gonna live. It'll no, be fine. It, Here he is sitting at this table. It's absolutely weird for me to think that something has happened in my life that if it was in a movie I wouldn't want to watch that scene where that operation is performed like that's such a trippy thing for me did that experience shift like how you dealt with things emotionally you think because earlier I made a kind of a a quip which you seem to disagree with which had to do with emotion and I was like, you know, you don't want to have too much emotion because that's unbecoming. Just the right amount. Um, oh, yeah. Because you, you strike me as somebody who, like, plays it cool. I wish I didn't. I, I, I swear to you, I wish I didn't. I wish I could just be more genuine. I'm trying to get better at, like, saying when I appreciate someone that I do. Yeah. And um, that's, that's not an insult when I say that. And when, yeah. I, when I say that, it's not that I think that you're phony or that you're disingenuous. No, no. You phony? May, you may phony. be. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thumbs. Um, you'll have to remind me the the guy who is this a Seinfeld yeah, reference? Who, oh, who's boy. trying to fix his car, you know, 
the guy explain it, it explain uh, it to, well, the, to the audience no, this, Obvi- obviously this Matt, really obviously Matt, I, no obviously Matt I get it because I'm a Seinfeld super fan I get every Seinfeld reference the but there are so many people who don't listen to it so or who don't watch well, it well there's just a guy who Jerry calls phony yeah and it, it doesn't really relate no it, it does because it we've been talking about Seinfeld the whole time well I, I get it everything I get is from like Seinfeld and Lord of the Rings and then a few bands who I dig yeah, yeah and there's nothing else and yeah, maybe a little Star Trek. No, actually, actually, I should be honest that I'm a Star Wars guy, and uh, yeah. that I just happen to know about and appreciate the, cool. the, uh, the concept. Yeah. But do you feel like this shifted your emotions or your just like way of looking at life at all? <sighs> I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I just somehow know deep down I'm not the same person. If anything, and, and this is tough to admit, but if anything, I think I find like emotional things a little like tougher to get to. I, I find like I'm not as like as like I I feel like the operation though it didn't it didn't leave me like totally debilitated or handicapped like a, like thank God I still knew how to play a D chord. Uh, I mean, there's a guitar with me there in the in the ICU, um, but uh, it left me like a little more detached, and I, I hate to say that, like I really do. I, I just I struggle from a lot of like physiological sort of tension in my head, and like there are a couple of things that give me release from that, and like music and exercise are a couple of them, yeah. and like I think it gives me a little less patience for like sort of day to day sort of human stuff and, and I hate to say that like I, I'm trying to work at it that's that's why I'm trying to have routines and may, maybe therapy maybe the sensory deprivation tank I, like and I'm not even joking there. I will Venmo you that money <laughs> that is I will accept that is it. not a joke just find the proper emojis yeah um <laughs> uh yeah I, I don't know like diet I'll things. You after the show <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like diet thing I, I, I don't know I I really don't know I'm trying to I feel a little adrift and a little lost and I'm happy about a lot of things. This new medication is better. Um, I'm so grateful for so many things, but how to turn that gratitude into like being the human that I want to be who like just like bonds. I I don't know how to do that. I identify with like 90% of what you just said in the last minute. I'm curious. Do you feel like you cry less than you did before the incident? It's with a lot of infrequency to begin with. Yeah. Would it be for you like in every couple year, maybe? Yeah. It, maybe. It's a couple books and a couple movies that do it to me. Yeah. And then admittedly, there have been a couple times recently where I've, I've broken down. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just have to have that during periods of your life in order to get through, you know? Yeah. I, and I, here's something. Zero sarcasm in this. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love breaking down. Yeah. With the right person there. It's like... It's being human. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. actually where you're really, really letting your humanity out. It's a real Sharing. release. Yeah. It's yeah. a real release. I feel like you and me, Matt Jaffe, are like 50% human. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, uh, are we replicants? Or, uh, uh, something. Could no. you define that for the audience? Who well, obviously I know. <laughs> well, it's actually a bad reference because they're no percent human, but yeah, they well, are. Maybe that's us. We're just so good at <laughs> pretending. <laughs> they are the uh, the 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 replications of humans in the the Blade Runner franchise that um, 
you know, are, are created by uh, Tyrell Corporation to, to do work for humans. Yeah, well, that might be us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, what a thing. Uh, boy, uh, you might have thought that I was exaggerating earlier this evening when I said we're going to get a glimpse of your soul, but I feel like we really got a glimpse of your soul tonight. I'm glad. I, I still feel like I'm disappointing a little by not finding the best, like, maybe Deckard. Maybe Deckard. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, if somebody has not watched that, what is it? And how? That is the, the Harrison Ford character. I, I'd love to be the Ryan Gosling character, but... Uh, <laughs> what a dreamboat. Mm. What a dreamboat. I mean, come on. First Man, La La Land, <laughs> The Notebook. How about uh, <laughs> um, Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, let's stick with Harrison Ford here. He's the character yeah. who, in different cuts of the movie, is suggested to differing uh, degrees that he himself is a replicant, and um, he himself feels love for the uh, the Sean. What's the actress's name? Sean. You know the Sean Penn. No, no. <laughs> no the woman. Uh, you know, the, the female lead from the original Blade Runner. Um, so I like that he is romantic interest, but is still kind of like doing his job. And it's kind of like... Sean Young. Sean Young. Uh, there's a relationship there that's more than strongly suggested. Um, and uh, But he is like sort of workmanlike. I, and I don't want to hunt down people and kill them. I Unless don't, you have to. Although they're not really people. They are replicants. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, and I would feel less bad about that than getting someone across the throat a la alias. That would and make it clean except for that last, uh, the, the last lines. Uh, who was the guy that? Uh, uh, Rutger. Yeah, Rutger Hauer. My yeah. God, that is such a powerful scene. It is. It and, really and is. And actually, they are humans is the whole point. They were sure. humans. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that'd be a, a great, a great, you know, person for me to be. I think... Uh, I think I would take that because the Sean Young character is still more human than Ryan Gosling's love interest, who is literally just a projection in Blade Runner 2049. Matt Jaffe. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't feel bad about anything. I think that you have been an extremely generous guest on this program. Absolutely. I mean, for somebody who... seems to struggle with emotional stuff a little bit and like trying to be more, I don't know, human. Um, I Uh, I think that you go ahead. Yes. You seem to have had a revelation. Yeah, I did. Trying to figure. So I'm watching this whole body of work and it starts with this really charming piece in an elevator and it moves along to all these different phases of your writing. Yeah. You're missing vulnerability in your first early tunes. And I'm trying to think, what the fuck? What's missing here? This kid has got the voice. He's got the guitar. He's got the words. Um, so, yeah, he admittedly, he admits that maybe he's a little light on experience, but not exactly as we hear this whole story. What's, what is missing? Why aren't people saying, dude, this kid's got it? Uh, I think you're just about to be blowing it out in big ways, hopefully. I think it's the humanity part. Your very first song was about being an elevator. <laughs> well, well, that that's one I wrote with a friend. That was a beautiful uh, tune. Thank you. I, I shared that with Rob on the drive today. Oh, dope. it's a great tune. Yeah, dope. Rad. Yeah, I mean, I look. It's and it's it's 
tough for me to say this, but because I'm trying to figure out. Well, you've been what? attacking him all night long. <laughs> I so, have I mean, not been attacking Absolutely, him. you have. 16 games. Remember that? I'm I know it was like two days. hours ago, but I, don't, I will 16, never forget that attack. 16 days seems to be a little light, but yeah. that's, that's just <laughs> not me. Not when it's curated. I, I have nothing. Not when it's curated. Here's the thing. When I need tunes on my iPod, I give it to Jim and he does it for me. Yes. That's the best but I you got. But you digress. Anyway, but I digress. I wonder if what the the final ingredient needing to be added here is being able to pull your huma- humanity out, and I think that's it. And it just hit me like a rock there for a minute. Wow, dude, that's it. It's been too clean. It's been too pat. There haven't been any yeah. tears. Yeah, well, I, I definitely think that's true on the first two records. Um, they are, they're like pretty. I mean, I, I feel things that went into that. It's not, I, although I guess that's sort of an important distinction is uh, the, the sort of the inspiration and the product, or product is such a ah, ugly you word, know, but. Because, dude, it's all coming from the tubes. It's all coming from the movies. Uh, no, oh, it's all coming from the movies. It's all coming from flicks. It's all coming from unreality. Yeah, well, I, I, I embrace unreality, and I, I think there's a way to to show it that is very emotional. I mean, a, a song yeah, that I've listened to a lot lately is Mr. Tambourine Man. And, wow, the birds. And then, well. No, look, you're talking about David. Uh, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> Here's the deal. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a, we go right back to it was originally Bob Dylan, but for me it was the birds version of it, which was a smoking tune, and it was one of the first tunes I ever played. I love the tune. Stop insulting this man. I'm not insulting. I particularly love David Crosby's writing style, as a matter of fact. Here's the, the, here's, really here's the thing I think you're trying to the say guy as, you, as you attack this man, our hair. guest. I'm not attacking him. Um, did I attack him? Which, I think what you're saying is this. he uh, Early stuff, uh, copy of a copy of a copy. This was not meant to be an attack. I'm honest <laughs> to God. I watched this kid's stuff because you were a kid when you got started. Honest to God. And I'm... And, and, Early on, you're you're having interviews with the Chronicle writer. I mean, you're getting you went out on the road with with uh, Blues Traveler, John Popper and the Boys, John Popper and the other Travelers, the Boys. Oh uh, yeah, all right, the Boys. Anyway, you went out on the road with with John Popper and the Boys, and and uh, so what the fuck does it take for a kid like this for you guys to jump in and go that further step? And I'm telling you. That, that's another conversation for another time because I don't feel like it really engages who I am versus what I think about an industry. But, but yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think it's A, learning vulnerability, and it's B, curating vulnerability because I, I have a, just a, a shit ton of songs. I think and you and not-, not all of them are good, but the ones that I selected for those two records are far from the ones that would get to the places this conversation has gotten to. The most recent record, The Spirit Catches You, it, it gets to the tip of the iceberg. Some of the songs you mentioned, Raise the Dead, uh, which actually is not really about my experience as a, a part of the Near Death Club, but, uh, but Rumors of Your Ghost actually to me is the one that has sort of the most heart to it. Uh, and, and that to me is where I want to go. Like I sort of understand the guideposts now and the records that I want to make um, in a way that I hadn't before. And I've, I'd, I'd like to, on the record, disconnect this from how it will impact my success in the music industry. But in terms of like my records being 
a better sort of lithograph of my soul on wood, you know, like, like I, I hope they're that. I, I really, I think I understand how Have to do that. Have you read the two in the better. mix, but you, you, you can be brought to tears by the right movie ending or by sure. the right song. Have yeah. you found that yet? Have you written that tune yet? Um, well, rumors of your, uh, sure. Yeah. Some that I've written. Yeah. I, I would say the, the one it's tough for me because they're, they're bringing back memories for me. Yeah. And I also wonder how much of it is like memories and like watching other people watch your struggle. You know what I mean? Watching your mother break down or your dad, like have a hard time, like keep it together because he sees your scar. That right there is you reacting really to their emotional reaction to your struggle. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a, a little oversimplified to say that I am uh, too biased because I see memories because, you know, the perfect piece of art is, uh, you know, a prism through which other people can refract their own memories. So so it's not like having memories, period, is too impartial a thing. Uh, and yet, I think because it's my music, my memories, it is perhaps a little too biased. I'm just appreciative that you shared all that with us. Yeah. And I will also say that I think that, uh, you know, slight emotional disconnection that some of the people at this table seem to have, I think has served this episode quite well. (laughs) It hasn't been a sob story. I think it's been been emotional where it needed to be emotional. But also, you know, for the people who like to smile, there's been some smiles. (laughs) I want to say also this, like, feels obvious to me, but in case it's not, I want to thank these two guys for, like, just hanging out. I've been, like, such a... Such a talker. I mean, I know we got onto certain subjects that you guys might not have exactly. You know, it's the Matt Jaffe episode. They know that. It's the Matt Jaffe episode. I just want you guys to know it's been awesome to to share this space with you, and I appreciate you both, and I appreciate being able to make music. And you know, Alex and I have been making music together for like seven years going on seven years he's almost um, on everyone he's on he's almost on every video you look at with you as a matter of fact uh, yeah. this guy is always going to be behind yeah you. And, and, there and, lurking. and getting to know rob recently it, it's really uh it's really a pleasure and and this is such a um such a like well first of all you guys are like super professional which makes everything possible for me but that's that's like not what this is about it's just such a joy like getting to play with you guys and getting to like show up to gigs and be like man i'm I'm excited to see my bandmates matt jaffe and and the boys yeah so (laughs) i i just you know i feel like that that may be lost in like the incredible saturation of this episode by me uh but uh i just i just want that to be out there appreciate that man (laughs) Joy's the word for it, man. Thank you. Matt Jaffe and the boys. <laughs> Matt Jaffe and the boys. Well, thank you all for joining us tonight. Matt, you have been on our radar for a long time, so it's cool that we got to have you on this show. And uh, you've, like, f- for a minute said you felt bad about, like, not being emotional. Enough. I don't know what you said, but don't feel bad at all about this. This was an incredible thing. Thank you for sharing so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was very special. Uh, you can tell when somebody shows up and wants to actually like share their truth and try to like have a conversation about what goes in their music, and you did that. Your music is wonderful, and we're glad that we got to document it here yeah. tonight. So thank you guys for coming. And speaking of your music, in just a moment, a collection of songs by Matt Jaffe and the it band is. are next. It's a thank great you guys set. again for joining us. Thank you. Thank thanks. you.
I'd walk a million miles I'd write a thousand novels I'd dig a hundred tunnels All with a paper shovel I'd judge a trillion trials All with a feather gavel Demons could inhabit 
back to those moments that I remember like a dream. These days you feel like my opponent. 